This is Philip Meyer, welcoming you to another episode of Talking About Platforms. We present and discuss relevant discoveries from the field of platform research. Hi, I'm Daniel Trebucchi. In every episode, we have a guest sharing with us one of his or her latest papers on platforms to make it accessible for everyone. And with that, let's jump right into the conversation. Welcome to another episode of Talking About Platforms. Uh, first, I say hi to my regular co-host, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Philip. And hi to our guest of today. Hi, Samir. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. Hey, thank you for being here. So let me introduce our guest today. Samir Singh is a technology advisor. He's based in London and he's founder of the Breadcrumb VC. Um, he also consults for uh, bigger technology companies, uh, Forbes 500 companies, growth edge startups, and other technology investors. And he runs a top-rated course on network effects, which is called Applied Network Effects. And uh, we already talked about it before we started the recording. That's also how I got in touch with Samir, because some of my friends uh, recommended him and his coursework because they didn't wear it. They were so excited uh, about that. So I'm very happy to talk about that later as well. But before we jump in and to talk about network effects, Daniel, let me hand over well, to you. What's your first question? Thank you, Philip. You know, my first question is always the same. The podcast is titled Talking About Platforms, and uh, we welcome people that in different ways, in various ways, deals with platforms. But... Um, even if this is the thing that is actually getting all of us together here, is also something that is not necessarily pointing exactly in the same direction. So my first question is kind of twofold. The first one is, what is a platform to you? The second one is even a bit more personal, which is how you end up working in the field of platforms. The second one is... is arguably the, the more fun question, but let me start with uh, the first one. I'm not going to give you a straightforward answer here because there are two schools of thought as to what a platform is. There's the academic consulting slash corporate school of thought, and there's the startup and venture school of thought that I'm part of, right? So if you were talking about the corporate academic consulting world, a platform would be um, increasingly anything with an open architecture, any product with an open architecture, or where you're facilitating a product by bringing in external participants. That's an, and broadly, in, in some shape or form, those platforms have network effects. So it's a more loose definition. If you're talking about the venture world I'm from, a platform has a very specific definition and it has nothing to do with that. It's a specific variant of a network effect where you allow software developers to build on top of a product uh, so that the users of that product can use the applications built on top of the product. Right, so iOS and Android are platforms. Salesforce is a platform. Uh, uh, WhatsApp and Facebook are not. Those are network effects products. And network effects are the superset of which platforms are sort of one narrow. Uh, but I prefer that because it's a far more specific definition. And sort of a recurring theme we'll come back to in this talk probably is specificity is important when you're trying to apply any of this stuff, because the moment you like take a woolly concept and apply it to the real world, it all falls apart. Right? You have to be as specific as possible. The, to answer your second question, how I got into doing this, a, a very long accidental journey. I was originally uh, part of a family office in India investing in um, technology products. And uh, I started writing a blog about mobile businesses, 
This is 2012-2013. iOS and Android were just emerging. Um, that blog took on a life of its own. Ended up joining a, a startup called App Annie. Uh, spent five years there. I was their global head of consulting. It basically meant that people didn't know what to do with the data. I would basically look at it and say, these are the places you need to expand into. These are the things you should be building. These are the things you shouldn't be building uh, based on what we can see. So I managed a, a global team that uh, that did that. Turns out because Appani was consumer facing, the data was consumer facing, most Appani customers were at one point purely consumer companies. So they either had network effects or were competing against network effects in the vast majority of cases. And I was writing about mobile businesses where I touched upon network effects as well. So it kept coming back to this concept again and again, kept digging deeper into it. And you know, at one point, Appani became a late stage company. I wanted to move on. Um, I knew I wanted to go back into investing. I knew I wanted to uh, revolve around network effects. So when I left, I basically spent a year just writing essays about how network effects worked. Uh, which got me into Atomico, the, the Atomico Angel program, which basically meant they gave me a small amount of money uh, to invest. And I, that's what I invested in. I basically spent a year writing a thesis. And then people started asking me, hey, do you have a course version of this for us to understand? I'm like, okay, sure, let's do that too. And uh, that's become sort of a reasonably popular course as well. And so, yeah, uh, very accidental, long, but essentially all I do now is focus on network effects, not platforms, uh, but occasionally touch on my definition of platforms as well. Yeah, thank you so much for, uh, for for clarifying. And I totally agree that, and, and I think that this is also one of the reasons why we why we started the, the format in the first place, and we why also why we open with this particular question in the first place, because the definitions, even in the academic world, where you say the platform is is pretty like broadly defined, even even there, there are so many different nuances, so to say. Uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, Philip, if I if I jump in, but uh, you open a memory in my <laughs> in my in my brain. I went through your profile before mm -hmm. joining the episode, obviously, but uh, I haven't been through your whole profile. I didn't know you worked in Apani, and I was not thinking about Apani since like years but it was the very first database and and service i used to create samples when i started doing research in uh, mm. in the field of apps so it's, it's it's just crazy to meet someone that was there <laughs> cool it, it was it was a interesting place to be uh, at a certain point in time i'll definitely put it that way you know, at one point at least every major consumer company was using appani saying now there's lots of competitors uh, and alternatives out there uh, but it was really interesting. You got to exposed to a whole new set of companies and and customers that you normally would not. And in a, in a way, it was similar to VC in the sense that you look at lots and lots of different industries and verticals and, and product types in like a normal day. Whereas in most companies, you're basically looking at your product and your company, right? Um, and so I thought that was really interesting. I think that that's the part of Appani I probably enjoyed the most. And, and probably why I was able to transition from investing to that, to back into investing fairly seamlessly. Yes, Samir, uh, we teased the applied network effects uh, course already a bit. Normally at this, at this point, we, we invite our, our guests to, to summarize the paper that we're, that we're going to talk <laughs> about. Um, I, I understand and I, I read through your publications on... Or Maven. Uh, yeah, on Maven. And... Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think we could also talk about every every single one of these publications, but I will not miss the opportunity to talk about the 
the course uh, in like from a holistic perspective and would invite you to share with us maybe a bit of an outline and then maybe touch some mm. components of the outline so that we and and our audience understands your view and and your thinking uh, around that sure sure i mean in terms of the curriculum itself uh, i basically divided network effects into four broad buckets right? what i call data networks where you're collecting data from users to improve the value of the product to the users uh, interaction networks where you're connecting users for you know ongoing interactions uh, where you kind of you kind of have repeated engagement between the same nodes um, or marketplaces which are kind of obvious you're connecting people to make a transaction usually those are obviously more transactional one off transactions uh, between the same two nodes at least and finally again my definition of platforms software developers developers building on top of a product and users of the product using the applications on the product but like when people ask about the strength of the network effect it actually depends on the subcategory within each uh, bucket as opposed to which bucket you fall under and so by strength i mean you know how defensible is this at scale are you going to have competitors or are you going to be essentially a monopoly or winner take most uh, market scalability what's going to happen to your unit economics as you grow are you going to are unit economics going to get that much better or are they going to sort of not be that great uh, so you know that the classic example being airbnb versus uber one being far more defensible and scalable and one being less so and you can kind of see it in how much capital they've had to raise to reach a particular valuation like airbnb has been far more capital efficient which is fantastic if you are an employee a founder an investor because you get so much more upside right uh, whereas ubers have to be far more uh, capital intensive is more of a slog and so there's more dilution for investors shareholders employees everyone so that's one piece of it another piece of it is you know a lot of people confuse terms virality uh, managed marketplace uh, and stuff like that so at what what is a managed marketplace what isn't what's virality how is it different from a network effect uh, in, in lots of high profile books that are written in this space also get this completely wrong irrespective of whether they're written by academics or vcs uh, like i've seen uh some stuff where i kind of look and you have to laugh at it. like you know if anyone had reviewed this who knew what they were talking about like not just me like they would pick out that this is an obvious issue and then monetization like this question i get an awful lot like how do you make money um the the issue with most network effect companies is that there's no standalone product like normally if you're building a saas company like you build some code you sell it you make some money you know you, you whether it's a subscription or a payment doesn't actually matter but it's fairly easy to make money for a network effect company often it's not because the relationship between users is the product and so if you want to monetize that it depends on what the relationship is there's lots more nuances to keep in mind there's only like so many monetization models you can use but like how you use them when you use them that's very very nuanced and so we talk about sort of all these different uh, topics in relation to each particular uh, bucket of network effects and what those subcategories actually are and then the way i've structured the course is it's over 3 weeks uh tuesdays and thursdays tuesdays we talk about these frameworks the the theory essentially what the stuff actually is and on thursdays i basically give everyone three case studies and say hey you 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 watched the the content now go play it and then we kind of discuss everyone everyone goes into breakout groups and then we discuss their evaluation the breakouts are an awful lot of fun for me because i can actually spy on people during the breakouts so i know what what the discussion is and it's like uh like it's very uh, like when you know, already know the answer it's kind of it's very very fun to see how people get to the answer and the general uh, trajectory i've seen is the week 1 in the exercises people struggle week 2 they get the hang of it week 3 everyone gets everything right uh and so by then i know like okay, okay it's working uh yeah that, that's that's basically it 
basically for anyone if you're a founder investor if you're working in a network effects company in a product or gtm role is probably ideal for those personas but i've had like a handful of people who fall outside that uh, that bucket of play as well they sort of bring some interesting cognitive diversity to the group i think there are so many founders potential founders companies that want to build network effect products right and i think this is often also in the in the academic literature a basic assumption that it makes sense to try to build one uh, in a given market, right? Um, and then my first question would be like, where to start? How do I even evaluate an opportunity that, or if there is one, or if there is mm. no opportunity in a given market or branch to build it? No, so this is, it's an interesting question. Generally, if you're a founder, I'll always suggest start with the customer problem or the problem you're trying to solve, right? If you see like a problem in the real world, you think there's a product that can solve that. You go figure out what that product is. Uh, once you figure out what that product is, then try and learn more. If you think there's like possibility for network effects in there, then learn more about network effects and actually apply it to this to figure out, A, is this actually a network effect? And often it's not. Uh, it just sort of, sort of looks like one. Uh, two, is this a network effect that gives you a key advantage? If it's not, you got to figure out, okay, what other, like, is it actually defensible at scale or will you implode at Series B? Well, that happens to an awful lot of companies. Um, is this something where it's actually going to scale over time or it's going to be a slog? So a lot of these questions are easier to answer once you figure out what the product is because you still have room to pivot at that point. The worst time to pivot is you've built a product, you've got customers, you've raised funding, you're at Series A, Series B, then it's painful to pivot. So you'd rather pivot it right as you're building it, as you're starting to get uh, customer feedback. So I'd, I'd say once you figure out what your concept is, that's when you should try and dig into network effects to figure out what this is. But definitely do not do that. I've, what I've seen some people do is, in particular people who have an academic bent of mind, is they first try to learn about network effects and they figure out you know, uh, what's good, what's not. And then, then they try and figure out a product that fits into that. And if you reverse the process, often you'll end up with a product that doesn't solve a problem for anyone, which fundamentally is the thing you need to start with. Uh, so I always say, identify the problem, something you're passionate about, something where, where, you, where you have a key uh, special insight that gives you uh, an insight track into solving uh, that problem. And then figure out if it's worth it to build it based on all these frameworks and learnings you can, you can get. You know, listening to you is, uh, is, is fascinating because you are focusing somehow on the other side of the kind of businesses I usually uh, I usually study. I'm I'm focused only on uh, two-sided and multi-sided platforms and sometimes uh, I do the kind of reasoning you were doing at the beginning in the other way around. So look at WhatsApp, well actually that's a network good. And while I was listening to you uh well I, I would like just to ask you could you make us some examples of the kind of network uh, ventures, network-based ventures, network effects-based ventures that people start thinking about when they are working with you, just to be a bit more practical for people that are listening? Any example you can think of that is not uh, an already grown-up uh, oh, okay, right. based on network effects? Well, so the advantage here is that I'm, most of my day job is an investor and I only invest in network effect companies. So there's some interesting companies that, that I've invested in that are 
they're doing pretty well right now so my first rule when i invest in a, in a, in a new company is first you have to start with a unique clearly defined interaction at the heart of this product because every network effect is built around a unique interaction if it's not unique there's no uh, you're running into somebody else's network effect and there are situations where that may, might be viable but it's not the most interesting to me and usually post mvp early metrics and so if you hone in on that interaction some of the products that i invested in that seemed very unusual to lots of other people uh, when i invested but have actually panned out pretty well one is and this is a company I'm on the board of is called how about which is the idea of it is a social calendar so the problem they were solving was that you know if you want to set up a meeting with somebody you work with you go to their google calendar see when they're free to drop in a meeting if you want to meet with somebody who doesn't work with you in a different professional setting you send them a calendly link and they book some time with you or the other way around you want to meet with a friend uh, or a group of friends you drop a message into the the whatsapp group chat and say hey what are you doing tuesday 8 pm i'm busy how about wednesday 9 pm how about thursday 7 pm and that will keep going on eventually die uh, and so the idea of how about basically is start with connecting everyone's calendars uh, on a social app on a, with the social graph where you add someone as a friend and your calendar is connected uh, you can't see what they're doing but you can see when they're free chat interface built on top of it and so greatly streamlines the process of actually meeting your friends so think about as a social network for uh your in your real life friends right and not just sort of the odd influencer you see every uh, every now and then so that is a very very interesting company you're solving a genuine problem it's built on social graph uh user identity matters so that means it's at, at scale very very defensible uh and this company had about 5000 monthly active users when i invested they're now at 100 plus 100k plus uh, far beyond 100k plus right now and they've been sort of pretty popular Uh, off late the all of a sudden accidentally gone global like 3 months ago where they ended up in 20 countries by doing nothing basically does <laughs> um, the, the problem is uh consistent across lots and lots of different different countries right so that's that's one example another one so that again is is what i would call a one sided network uh what i would call an interaction network rather another one which is sub falls the cusp of one sided and two sided is um a dating app from iceland that i invested in called uh, smitten which was uh, the whole idea is the, the the dating apps from today are really boring people are sick of them so they wanted to create something fun so this sits somewhere in the, uh, the intersection of social gaming and dating so the whole idea is when you sign up for the app you build a profile and as part of creating that profile you create a quiz about yourself uh and the only way someone can match with you is by playing a game called guessery where you have to answer questions about them so about them and that's almost like two truths and a lie which of this these things about this person are like and that person has to guess and they have to get i think 10 questions right in order to match with them and again unique interaction um they're increasingly adding more sort of social elements to it which i think is going to add a very interesting dynamic um and so this company as well it's grown from like they were 5000 users when i invested they've grown well i think over 20 times uh to where they are now they just raised the series a last year from a us fund and moved the hq to the us uh so social networks in general i'm keen follower of there's also marketplaces multi sided ones like uh, like daniel mentioned and the whole idea for this one was um if you're selling clothes on depop or vinted uh generally speaking if it's you know a a, a well known brand or a, or a high priced brand or a luxury brand it's easy to sell if it's something from like h&m or zara or fast fashion generally it doesn't sell 
Uh, and so there's a ton of them of unsold stock. So where do these clothes go? They get thrown away or they get sort of given away to a thrift shop. So the idea of new was instead of doing that, you essentially create a listing on new. When you do that, they give you a quote unquote coin. It's not crypto, it's just like a digital currency. And you use that to take somebody else's clothes and you pay like you know, a pound every time you do that. So they're essentially recirculating clothes. They're using your clothes as currency. So again, new interaction, this time in a marketplace context, there is a buyer and a seller, although people can play both sides, which really helps for, for liquidity uh, and completely unlocks a whole new category of, uh, of supply. So that's something I could go on and on, but essentially that's the comp those are the types of companies I'm looking at. That's what I'm, uh, I'm trying to identify. Thank you. I was just, you know, asking to have some concrete examples to, to think of while you are while you are talking. Um, I, I would like to follow up with uh, with another question that deals with uh, your work as an investor there. I, I'm not an investor at all. And that's what I always say to my students when they pop up with with ideas. I'm like, OK, I can tell you what I see in there from an academic perspective. But uh, uh, I'm not the, the one actually taking the, the real decisions in the end. One of the things that usually scare the students the most is the fact that these kind of ideas and ventures can be very easily copied and brought to uh, a larger platform or a larger service based on network effects. And, uh, uh, well, when you deal with uh, with two-sided platforms, so you've got the matching, I usually tend to think that uh, a possible barrier is actually the kind of experience that you enable in matching the sites, the community that you create there that can work as a barrier for, for another platforms that would like to copy it. While listening to you, uh, when you were talking about the calendar, um example that's that's super cool but my mind directly went to okay but if any network business that already has access to our agendas or whatsoever would like to do that would they have an enormous value in in just taking that decision mm -hmm. so i was wondering is there any variable or any dimension of uh, network effect business that you consider to see how much they are not safe because anything is safe, but at least safer than others. In mm. uh, so there's there's in two the things here. There's two things here. One is so if you're talking about there's the concept of defensibility, which says if you get to scale, how do you prevent younger companies from taking over? So there's specific things you look at. So you know how important is user identity on your social network? The more important it is, you have a social graph on the app. They're not going to leave because they know people on the app who knows people on the app and so on. Right. So that's the easy one. What you're asking about is more like, you know, why doesn't WhatsApp do this? Or why doesn't Facebook do this? Or why doesn't Google do this? And the answer to this question goes, boils down to the first thing I mentioned, uh, unique, clearly defined interaction. Now, when it is a unique, clearly defined interaction, it is much harder for an existing interaction to subsume it because it messes with their own interaction. So as an example, Snapchat, right? Snapchat, the whole idea of Snapchat was sending disappearing pictures and messages. At that time, their competitors were Instagram. Now, if Instagram decided they were going to do disappearing pictures and messages, there would be fewer uh, pictures being posted on the Instagram feed, which was the whole purpose of their network effect. So if your interaction breaks their interaction, it can't be copied. 
similarly like calendar if you stick a calendar in, in whatsapp whatsapp as an interface in general has become huge like whatsapp now has polls in there uh but nobody knows because it's buried in the interface somewhere <laughs> so if you add more in there it becomes even more difficult to use even the more, most basic uh whatsapp features uh and so that's where the whole idea of clearly well defined interaction starts from when it's a unique clearly well defined interaction odds are there is going to break somebody else's interaction if their interaction is already at scale when i'm thinking about you mentioned the dating app and this is something that i yeah that i would like to explore further because uh-huh. the dating app is successful the moment people are not using it anymore right so if the user leaves <laughs> the dating app did a good job in enabling a fruitful interaction between two users how does this fit to a venture funded business model where your company's goal is to make the user get rid of your service so what are the what is the secret sauce in being successful in doing exactly that i mean this is a great question uh that question i think applies to dating apps that position themselves as you know we help you find long term relationships and if you actually look at the dating app world the percentage of dating apps that applies to is very small and for that very reason because if you do that if you're good at doing that you fundamentally created a not great business because customers come in churn out they've got long term relationship they're done uh in fact this which is why most of the successful dating apps so tinder for example was built on sort of more casual relationships so you would you would use tinder be off come back use tinder in spitten's case what i like most about them is because they're essentially fun uh they're basically the the concept of the app was entertainment for singles so almost using the app was more entertainment and more social than a proper dating app although it was in the dating app construct which is why like keep saying it's at the intersection of social gaming and dating um so it's somewhere it's social entertainment as opposed to you know a match.com style dating app which is probably more likely to have sort of those those dynamics but yeah you're right this which is why on on average i think dating apps are not the greatest investments partly because of that and partly because in many cases they're extremely hyper local uh and i think that just makes it very very difficult to scale right so you come into london you scale in central london then you try to go to one suburb and you try to go to the other suburb then you go to manchester and you keep doing that it's a slog it's hard to scale those things and so like, there's a couple of one i think spitten spitten being a notable example that have actually cracked the uh, having not not having that problem uh in their product just because the the app is so much fun to use because it's social entertainment it's almost like those dynamics are closer to and an instagram or social app like instagram or a social app like tiktok to a lesser extent compared to sort of a classical dating app the majority of my research is focused on companies in the b2b environment and they're one of the biggest issues in building platforms or network effect businesses or one of the big issues that i i think are are present there uh, is that the initial barriers to try out a service that a, a be it a marketplace or a network based application offers are often much higher than for example me downloading an app logging yeah. logging on and and get, going into a free trial I think it's getting more and more loose so like newer mm-hmm. companies startups they their their employees they just they just try slack and then mm-hmm. maybe slack enters a 
a startup that way because a few um, employees just tried it and then eventually it it just grows within the company mm-hmm. um, but do you have any like advice or recurring patterns that you see when working with b2b companies mm-hmm. or, or individuals in b2b companies when it comes to network effect based businesses this is a question i get an awful lot um I tell you, there's there's a couple of different things to keep in mind. So one of the key principles I tell people is, first, B2B markets and B2C markets are very different, but the characteristics of network effects are not. Network effects are math. So you apply the same frameworks. It's not like you apply different frameworks of B2B companies versus B2C companies. Uh, and sometimes people think they are. They're like, they aren't. Like B2B businesses fundamentally face loads of disadvantages when you're trying to create network effects there. First, in general, if you're trying to start your network by selling to an enterprise, don't. It's not going to work. Uh, the the barriers for adoption are way too high. The sales cycles are way too long. You will never get to liquidity doing that. So always, always, always start with smaller businesses, uh, with businesses that have a key problem. And usually that's never an enterprise. Because an enterprise, someone might have a problem, but it'll take you forever to get to that person. And because he's probably not going to be signing the check anyway. So, I mean, that's a big one. Second, uh, and this is true, I mean, if you look at sort of most B2B network effects, there's a handful of data network effects, but sort of mostly what we're talking about is B2B market bases. So if you restrict yourself to that, if you look at the vast majority of B2B marketplaces that go on to be reasonably successful products, most of them end up becoming SaaS companies or they end up becoming brokerages. They're not real networks. They're a very small minority that end up becoming actual B2B marketplaces. And for those, um, you need to, if you want to build an actual B2B marketplace, like FAIR in the US, for example, right? you need to have some sort of inbuilt while loop. Like This is not true for B2C networks and marketplaces, but B2B marketplaces, you have to. Because if you're trying to do direct sales on both sides to be able to bootstrap a marketplace, the sales cycle is, is not going to make that viable. So essentially what will happen is you'll become a brokerage. You'll end, you'll go find demand on one side. Then you've, you've got demand. Now you'll, you'll scramble to go find supply somewhere and vice versa, right? So the only way to make the, to sort of get away from that problem is either if you have a scalable way to attract one side of the marketplace, or maybe you get lots of inbounds, or uh, what you do is you have some sort of financial service offering, some sort of SaaS tool to offer one side of the marketplace. And because they want to use that tool, they have to onboard the other side to be able to use it. So Scout B uh, in Europe, like that's a good example of it. One of my portfolio companies, Farmland does that. Fair kind of broadly uh, does that. And so you really need to have that sort of scalable acquisition approach if you want to do if you want to do that. Second, it needs to be a marketplace where discovery actually matters. Now, unfortunately, in the B2B landscape, there's lots of long-term relationships between buyers and suppliers, right? If that's happening, fundamentally, if you're, all you're trying to do is streamline the transaction, you're a SaaS product. There's, there's no discovery, you're not a marketplace, there's no matching, right? And so that becomes another hard problem to solve. Like which markets actually have the need for discovery? Uh, in the B2B space. There's not, there's not a lot. Uh, there's some, there's not a lot. And the third big one is fragmentation. Like Often, unfortunately, B2B markets tend to be very, very concentrated on one side. And then that happens, like fundamentally, there's no room for a marketplace uh, or a need to sort of network. You need to have extremely high fragmentation to be able to unlock, unlock one of these. And so it always comes down to selection, right? Uh, are you selecting the right market market for you to be able to build a marketplace or a network or whatever it is? Yeah, super interesting. Uh, I can imagine that you that you get this question very very often. Yeah, but this is a very 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 good and insightful 
answer. I, I might I might borrow and and of course uh, reference to to your your ideas when I get the question the next time. Great, um, <laughs> so so one one uh, other topic that I definitely uh, want to talk about is the topic of metrics and measuring mm -hmm. metrics, uh, right? So when and how do I do I understand that I have a um, a flourishing network effect business? How do I measure it? And then maybe also how do I set the right KPIs and adjust the KPIs um, along the way. Maybe that's something you can share a bit about. And this topic is like a 30, 40 minute <laughs> presentation. I, I had a talk at the Marketplace Conference a few years ago about this topic. Uh, it, it's complex because it depends on the kind of network effect you have, right? So it can vary and it can depend on sort of what stage of uh, the business you're actually in. Uh, one of the first things you need to do is define again, what kind of marketplace or network are you? Second, define what I call the core action. Like I, I think in, in your world, they call it the core, core interaction. That, which is basically what does a user need to do to be able to increase the value of the product for all users? So what's actually driving the network effect? That one action. And so if you are a one-sided uh, network, like a WhatsApp, like a Herbert, like a, 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 a Instagram, essentially you're looking at retention to core action. What are the conversion and retention to core action? What percentage of your, user, of your users do that? Step one, step one. Of the users who do that, what percentage come back and do it again? Uh, you know that the period can be, could be daily for some networks, weekly for others, monthly for others. It depends on what the use case is. Uh, so that stuff is, is super important. Sometimes if you're a very early stage company, like you don't have retention metrics. Retention metrics take sort of weeks and months to put together. So one of the hacks that I tend to use is, um, so let's say, you know, your WhatsApp, the core action is message sent, right? So you would look at, you know, over the first six months of your life, you've got, let's say, I don't know, two, three, four, 5,000 users, monthly active users. Gradually that's growing or it's flat or it doesn't matter. But what's happening to the number of messages sent? The number of messages sent needs to be growing faster than the size of the network, which means the number of messages sent per user needs to be increasing over time. Because if adding a user increases the value of the product for all users, that number should be going up. The value of the product is increasing, so the utility should be higher. That needs to show up in that metric. So that's one of the key things I look for for any uh, network or marketplace, like is that number going up? Again, there's nuances there. If you're a low frequency marketplace, transactions per user is going to be difficult to measure because you have to measure five years before you can see like an uptick for like an Airbnb, right? So then you measure uh, search to fill of the people who come to the website, what percentage buy or uh, utilization rate of the available supply you have, what percentage gets sold? And is that number going up as your uh, uh, user base is growing? So essentially it's those core engagement metrics that really drive the um, uh, the network. That's when you know that you've got a network effect that's starting to kick in. At that point, it's, it's not sort of fully realized, it's starting to kick in. Uh, and obviously there's a whole lot more nuances in like growth metrics and unit economics and stuff like that. Uh, a uh, whole lot more complications than you want to add, but I said that that's what I would start with. Once you got platform word and or network effects word, what are the other key competencies that are needed to actually make it happen? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, let's say I'm convinced that uh, one of the key missing capabilities is actually understanding the real nature of platforms and network effects and therefore not tackling them in the right and correct way. 
but at the same time, it's not enough to actually understand it. You have to to, to make it real, to bring it to the market, uh, and uh, uh, to make it happen. So if you have to create like, I don't know, a top three or anyhow, select the, the top skills needed to make a network effect business or a platform happen, what would you say? So I'm assuming you're talking from a founder's perspective, right? Like if you mm-hmm. want to build, yeah. so I'll, I'll split this into two categories, which is what I normally do, which is if you're building sort of, you know, a consumer network or marketplace or you're building sort of a B2B one or, or you know, a very vertical specific network or marketplace. If it's a consumer network or marketplace, like fundamentally your credentials don't matter. You know, what school you went to, your experiences of the previous one are not, none of that matters. If you build a list of the bigger, most valuable consumer networks, unicorns in the world, like most of their founders are like young first-time founders, right, right from Brian Chesky to, to Evan Spiegel. Um, instead, essentially what matters most is one, does this person have emotional resilience? Because you will fail a lot <laughs> and you have to figure out your way around that failure. It's a, it's a, people normally don't look at that, but especially when you're building a network, you'll have to make a ton of different pivots because there's not, there's not like 10 people you're selling into, right? Uh, so your the size of your network doesn't matter that much. Uh, you have to be willing to fail, try again, fail, try again, fail, try again. Second, you have some sort of novel worldview. Um, you have some sort of unique insight of the problem that makes you come up with the solution whereas others haven't really thought about it, at least to that degree. And third, like you need, I think, a product sense, uh, some uh, which is some empathy with the customer and the ability to figure out a product that is not necessarily technologically advanced, which I think people uh, fall into that trap an awful lot. You know, we're going to make a new Web3 product. We're going to make a new AI product. Like none of that freaking matters. Does your product solve someone's problem or not? Like that's that's the key the key question. It doesn't matter if, it, if it's Web3 or if it's uh, a metaverse or if it's uh, generative AI. Like the less sensitive the founders are to buzzwords, the better, honestly, because then they're more focused on customers. Um, I'd say those are the biggest ones. If you're looking at a B2B or vertical specific um, networks or marketplaces, usually these founders need to have some sort of deep immersion in the space to be able to understand those problems that they want to solve. Like the average person on the street is not going to be aware of those problems. And so if you're not aware of those problems to that degree, uh, they still need to have somewhat of an outsider's perspective because it's very hard for a founder to be like, you know, inside a corporate guy, like that's hard. Um, but still deep immersion into that space. Uh, and aside from that, you know, a lot of the similar uh, things where you do want to see uh, emotional resilience, you do want to see product sense. But of course, in this case, you probably, it probably helps to have a network within the space. Whereas for a consumer network marketplace, it doesn't really move the needle that much. Um, yeah, I'd say that that's normally kind of how I, I split it. That's a very long list. So I, I can imagine that your conversations and your due diligence with the companies you invest in are long and in they're fun they're fun they're fun <laughs> for all parties involved i, I have to talk to some of the founders <laughs> I, I i think the ones i've said yes to will like feel like it's worth it hopefully <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure it is i'm sure and i think for them the, the fun starts the moment you're on board and and they can really tap into your 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 knowledge and and, and yeah, that, that's when it gets more fun for me for sure uh, there's a whole lot more information to dig into at that point. I'm sure. Talking about digging into information, we're, we're coming to to an end uh, of the episode and you already touched some uh, some interesting buzzwords that are floating around a lot. 
Uh, and I don't want to uh, repeat any of them, but I want to ask a more open question. So what do you see uh, in like, the, yeah, your future of, of normally we say platforms, we can also say network effects or in general, like interesting technical trends where you see the network effect angle unfolding and that really interests you uh, these days where you're thinking about working on? Well, the honest answer is is none of the above because uh, fundamentally, I think that's the job of founders. I try and stay away from the idea territory. Like the founders are closer to the problem. I'm not. I'm because of essentially looking at so many different styles of network effects and having frameworks about network effects. I'm qualified to evaluate each problem, uh, but not necessarily come up with one. So I'm always very, very wary of saying I want to see X. Um, because often when people go down that route, you're not really solving much of a problem. So when I see like crypto and Web3, like, you know, interesting tech, I fundamentally don't see a ton of use cases there uh, that can create sort of, you know, room for new network effect businesses. Maybe that changes over the next couple of years. Maybe it doesn't. Founders will figure it out. I'll look at it and see if it makes sense. Generative AI, you know, the utility of it is very, very clear. Like so I can see it's very, very useful. Where's the network effect there? I've seen the term platform business thrown around quite a bit. I mean, I'm actually publishing something about this uh, in the next uh, week or two. Uh, and, and yeah, like I, I struggle to see anything there that can form the basis of a network effect. Uh, and again, maybe that changes in the next three to five years. Who knows? Uh, and I'll keep an eye out on it and I'll, I'll, I'll use my framework. Fundamentally, the frameworks don't change. Network effects are math. Math is math, right? Uh, like we've had network effects since humans learned to speak languages. Uh, yeah, like I, I don't have a great answer there. Like I don't even want to try to have an answer there because that gets me into dangerous territory. Like the worst thing you can do is fall in love with a particular kind of product that doesn't exist yet. And you're probably not seeing all the angles of it as a founder is. Uh, and so wary not to cross over into founder territory though. I, I definitely think that that was a great answer. Uh, Samir, uh, if uh, our audience, audience wants to follow your work, get updates, don't miss on the upcoming blog post, and uh, also maybe join your course, what's, uh, what's the best way to reach out, follow, and connect? Well, most of my posts you can find on breadcrumb.vc or you know, follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn and you'll see updates when they come out. Um, uh, my course, if you want to take a look at it, just go to search for applied network effects or go to maven.com and look for applied network effects there. You'll find all the information you need. And if you just sort of have a quick question, just drop me a note. I'm at samir at breadcrumb.vc. Very good. Thank you so much. As always, we will link this in the, in the show notes so it will be all accessible and available. And yeah, with that, I can only say thank you so much for your time, Samir. Uh, it was a very... Very interesting and insightful uh, perspective. This focus on network effects that's, that was novel in 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 talking in the talking about platforms uh, format, and also novel some more novel concepts uh, and differentiation uh, about different types of of uh, ventures having or not having network effects being or not being um, a platform from the one perspective or the other. I'm happy that this confusion stays so there's room for more episodes to talk about <laughs> that <laughs> and, and, and help to differentiate it um, yeah thank you so much for being being with us it was great thank you guys this was fun thank you very much thank you 
for listening to this episode of Talking About Platforms. To support our work, you can rate the episode or leave a comment on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to hit the follow button so you don't miss out in the coming episodes. If you want to look up at the papers we have discussed or other topics we addressed, visit talkingaboutplatforms.com. There you can find the show notes and get in touch with us. Until next time, when we're again talking about platforms.